Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, Stephen Murphy, as always, joined by one of the regular rugby crew this week. We have Sam uh, clocking into work. Unfortunately, Westy is he's in France. Uh, I think he went to Disneyland or Disney World. What's the France one? He was in Disneyland Paris, yeah. They, Disneyland Paris, they, so... They stayed on an extra day to go to the second most magical place in France this weekend. Uh, after the Stade de France. He's probably having pints with Mickey Mouse right now. You know, just having a whale of a time. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we don't blame him for that. So, But he'll be back next week, I'm sure, uh, to discuss. <laughs> Whose autograph would you be after if you were heading to Disneyland? I'd be... I'd be keen on a Goofy. I was a big Goofy movie. I was going to say, I like Goofy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a Daffy Duck, potentially. A bit of a Daffy Duck action. Uh, you're, looking Minima- Minima- you're looking for Elsa from Frozen. You just want a, you want a rendition to let it go. That's new school Disney, though. I'm not new school Disney, unfortunately. But look at... Uh, or the guy who says, Big Summer Blowout. I'm a big fan of him. <laughs> big Summer Blowout. Uh, I don't... I don't know if he's walking around Disney, Disneyland, uh, Paris, just, but he in the sauna in the hotel. Big summer blowout. He's just chilling. He's just chilling. Uh, yeah, look, we will recap action. Like I said, we're going to be straight up and honest, Sam, as we always are. Didn't get to see a ton of the games. But we will talk about the ones that we did see, though, uh, or at least ones talk, we're talking about as well. Uh, but yeah, as I said, it's been a busy time for me with engagement shit, uh, being honest with you, and then you are in France. So you know. We apologise profusely for not getting around to them, but if you want to hear someone pretend they saw them all, just go subscribe to the Off The Ball Network. Uh, I think they need the subscriptions, from what I'm hearing, some rumours that it's not going as well as they hope. <laughs> That's 10 euro well spent. At least this is free, you know what I mean? <laughs> all you're paying is your attention here. Uh, but yeah, we'll kick off with the first game. Uh, obviously, France Namibia is not what we're talking about in terms of the game, but obviously the Anton Dupont uh, injury has come out from this. I believe he's getting uh, is it surgery on Friday or at least a checkup on Friday. He had surgery. Uh, he had surgery the next day in the evening. They put a little metal plate in his cheekbone. It was originally thought to be the jaw. That's what kind of the rumors on Twitter were were doing the rounds. Uh, I was actually I was at the the match in France with the prof, you know who I'm talking about, and he he was telling me how much better for Dupont the injury he got was than if it was slightly north or slightly south because eye socket would have been a big one and jaw would have been disastrous. So the fact that he lucky enough that it was just the cheekbone, he reckons it could be a couple a couple of weeks. And now we're here and today he might actually be quarterfinal ready in a Phantom of the Opera Bane mask, which just makes. I don't clear. I don't think if there was any chance of him playing a quarterfinal I think he was always going to play do you know what I mean it's, you, you have to obviously as you said if it's close to the eye that's a different ball game because you're doing you know, possibly permanent damage and all that but uh, even with the injury I was pretty confident he was going to play but yeah if he rocks up in a Bane mask I mean, that's even cooler uh, 100% on, on board for that yeah I didn't think he'd be for the quarterfinal I thought it might just be a game too close uh, the, the general consensus online and this is just online doctors uh, deciding that it was about a four week recovery period and yes, it's a World Cup quarterfinal, and yes, it's at home, but it's also your face, and it's an injury, and you do have to just be mindful. Like you, your France, France love Dupont; they need Dupont. But it's is your career, is your life more important than that game? It's hard to tell. So only he and the doctors will know exactly. I didn't think he'd be in the quarterfinal, but we're reading today that they're they're exploring avenues, Harinordoqui uh, style, full face masks going on. Uh, I often wonder, seeing that Aaron Orgy uh, face mask, that surely is somewhat dangerous for opponents as well. <laughs> like it's but, like two inches thick but it was, uh, of just material. It was soft though, so the there is there's world rugby rulings. I was reading about them. There's world rugby rulings about the millimeter of thickness and the hard plastic and what you can have and what you can't. 
It's not like in field hockey where you can just put a big piece of plastic over your face and protect yourself. You have to, they have to adhere to the ruling. So it'd probably be a soft, almost like a scrum cap style material with a little bit of pressure on that one point uh, that would help him. But the higher Nordic one, the, the bigger problem for me would be like your peripheral vision would just be gone. And to have a player like Antoine Dupont, like even if he's on the field, but he's not playing at 100%, is that trade off worth it? It's up to France to decide. But yeah, I, I don't, I, I agree. You have to be obviously mindful of the long term here, but. Yeah. Even the fact that it's in France, I, I don't know. I'd be shocked if he doesn't play a quarterfinal. But again, who knows? Uh, it's not already up to us. But the bigger question is here, Sam: is Should he be, should he should he have been on the pitch? Should he have been on the pitch that long? Should he have even played this game? This is the risk with the Rugby World Cup, obviously, with the sport itself. Is you play these players in, in meaningless games, uh, and they've lost Intimac and now possibly Dupont, um, you know, for the rest of the World Cup. Uh, and like, it's a question of. I see both sides. I think um, Galtier was was asked about it, and he was saying, you know, it's rugby; you have to play, and there's always a risk of getting injured. I agree with that, but if this was the first game of the World Cup or anything like that, I'd be like, fair enough. But look, you've already beaten New Zealand; you still have one more cup, still more one group game before you go to a quarter final. Was it necessary to play him against Namibia? It wasn't necessary, but coaches will always turn around and tell you that there's as much, if not more, chance of an injury happening in training or, as we've seen, in the team hotel than there is in a game. If you play you play a contact sport, you play a contact sport and your whole life kind of revolves around it. I thought it was probably weird that he didn't get whipped at halftime. France needed a statement win, I think. Like, even the, the New Zealand win was a good win, but they hadn't... They, they flattered to deceive against Uruguay then the week before, so... I think France needed that statement and they wanted to really put the foot on the throat and do what Ireland and South Africa had done to Romania and really just make that statement that they were the step above and that they were part of the the leading pack and not the the next level down. Not that anyone ever questioned that, but without Entomac and, you know, a couple of players going down, they I think that they wanted to do that and they left them on a little bit too long. I would have probably hooked them at halftime after the, the game had been won. It felt inevitable or maybe that's hindsight talking but when he was back on in the second half I just I was looking going it's, it's not it's just, something's going to happen someone's going a player's tired Namibia were gassed they had made like 11 changes the man that ended up causing the injury I think he played the three games within 11 days or 10, 12 days or something whatever it was a mistake was going to happen and it just felt inevitable it was going to be DuPont and you look at France's chances of winning the World Cup without Entomac and DuPont. I think they could make do without one or the other, but the, the fact that both of them are gone, just it's such a big blow for them. So France are moving heaven and earth to get them back on the pitch here. They will probably kick themselves in secret about leaving them on as long as they did, but the party line will be, it's rugby. You've got as much chance of getting injured on the training pitch or falling down the stairs in your team hotel as you do getting injured in a match. Um, I don't place any blame on the Namibian player. I think that the fact that they was chastised online by bunches of fans, not even just French fans, but just rugby fans in general. He was getting such abuse, he privatised his social media stuff and he released a big, you know, apology statement that World Rugby were all, you know, giving the thumbs up to and stuff. It's That felt a little bit too much for me. It's it's an accident. It was no malice in it. It happens in a game of rugby. And I think that the fact that it was DuPont meant more to rugby world than if it was the other way around. There'd be no apology if it was the other way around. If DuPont had knocked out a Namibian, you wouldn't see anything. So I thought that was a little bit strange and I didn't like that side of the whole thing. And from a perspective point of view, you want DuPont back on the pitch for the rest of the World Cup because if Ireland aren't going to win it, kind of would like to see France win it at home. I think that's the be- the second best story from an Irish point of view. 
No, I agree. The the apology and the abuse is just, it's just the worst part about humans, to be honest with you. It's such bullshit. But the, the last thing I'll say on this, before we can move on, is I always remember uh, chatting to Porchy about this uh, name, name drop. But um, he was saying, I remember one time he got he was rested for a week, and I was asking, I was like, oh, you know, you're happy to be rested. And he said he always feels like he's more injury-prone after a break or after a rest. He said he, he loves playing week in, week out because he's... Now, whether there's any actual scientific proof behind this, but he just feels like his, bo- his body is battle-hardened to it. Uh, whether that's a placebo effect or not, I don't know. But that's, that was from a pro player's opinion. So, look, we see it all the time with Sexton. He always plays. You know what I mean? He, he plays at some stage, and these players want to play. And there's a lot to be said for that too. So, you know, I, it's just unlucky. And France has been unlucky a few times now uh, in this World Cup and that's the risk you always run uh, with, with these sort of things but you know, Gatland in a similar situation you know uh, Falatau had a great, great game of the weekend we'll talk about that in a little while but Gatland said he needed to play him into form he was like I need him to get minutes so that you can play him to form and Dupont for all the genius he is I didn't think was massively influential in that New Zealand game I thought they won in spite of him uh, and then he needed a big game because if they're going to ride on him in terms of getting as far as the final and winning it and, you know, ha- him being the star player, they, they need him confident. They need him in Purin and to do it against Namibia was probably the, the right idea. And like you said with Porchy, like players want to be playing. They don't want to allow themselves to recover to such a stint that they, they get sore again. It's almost like you go through your season knowing that you're you're not never going to never quite be 100. So I, I feel like that they're... There is probably a scientific basis towards, you know, staying in a consistent routine of being hit, recovering, being hit, recovering. And if you, if you change that up, your body's going to start asking questions and start feeling the pain a bit more, I'd say. Yeah, look, we, we won't know, but I'd, I'd be betting he's back for a quarterfinal. Um, next game we'll talk about is Argentina-Samoa because you were there in the stadium, Sam, at Saint-Etienne uh, with Westy and crew. Uh, how was the game? Obviously, Argentina winning 19 points to 10, but how was the atmosphere? How was the, the, the crack? The atmosphere, the game, the entire day around it was buzzing. It was brilliant. And I was so excited to go see Samoa play. I've, I've been a, a fan of them since about 2003 when I kind of got into rugby. And Argentina as well. Their fan base were just amazing. They all were on the same train as us from Leon. It was jam-packed full of Argentinians, uh, less Samoans. But there was a good number there once we got to the, uh, the city. The game itself was a bit of a letdown. It was a poor, poor affair. The rain was hurtling down like... Beautiful day up until kickoff. Beautiful day getting home after kickoff. Pelting rain for the entire game. So it wasn't the the best spectacle. Samoa somehow got a chance to try and steal it towards the end and then couldn't even take that, which was a bit of a shame. i disappointed in the standard rugby, but the actual day itself was brilliant. San Etienne, in terms of I was in, I was, so I've been in Nantes, Paris and San Etienne now. It's the three, three host cities I've been in and Lyon, but not for a game. And the fan zone in San Etienne was amazing there was like the same touch rugby stuff going on but people were doing it there was a huge big stage there was a mad lad singing on a jcb there was more shops bars and it was a five minute walk to the stadium you weren't a 40 minute or an hour long tram away it was that the stadium the train station and the fan zone were all within about 20 minutes of each other it was i was brilliant i was loving life and the argentinian fans were electric the whole train there the whole match they were just giving it socks it was it was class to see and beside us there was this kind of a rugby academy probably 100 
French kids that they were just trying to wind up the Argentinians. They all started being some own fans then. Uh, and there was kind of a bit of two of row. So it was, yeah, it was a disappointing game. There was some hard hits, but it was a bit stop-starty and a bit higgledy-piggledy. And then Samoa didn't capitalize on their opportunity towards the end when they they got back to, what was it, 16-10, I think. Uh, and then Argentina got a penalty to t- pull it away. But uh, yeah, it was, the game was disappointing. I think that... Uh, Small will have really missed uh, having Lima Sabuanga at 10. They had uh, Christian Leilofano, who is he's class, but I think Sabuanga's nursing a little bit of an injury. And I, I didn't think Leilofano ran the game as well as Sabuanga maybe would have. Uh, I think they're a brilliant 10 and backup 10 partnership. But I just I thought Leilofano was maybe a little bit off on the day. Yeah, I think obviously from Samoa's point of view, it was a missed opportunity to sort of cement second place or at least cement a qualification. But like the the group now for that second spot is wide open again. You've got Samoa and Japan both on five points, Argentina on four points, um, all played two games, so it's 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 wide open uh, at least for some excitement. England um, obviously hammered Chile. They are way out in front uh, on fourteen points. They've obviously they're qualified. Um, yeah, look, a disappointment from Samoa, but Argentina needed that win big time, so they're back in it. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that second spot in that Pool D uh, opens up. Uh, we'll move on to Georgia, Portugal. Uh, the first first draw of the competition. Is that right in saying that? I believe so, yeah. I don't remember talking about it so. before. Uh, dis- no, I don't think so either. 18 points each. Um, it's, it's hard to say. I was going to say a good result for Portugal, but as you said, they had a penalty to win it in the last couple of minutes. Uh, which is disappointing for them. Not to, that would have been a great win. Uh, Georgia, I think. Let's talk about Georgia a little bit, Sam. There was some expectation coming to this World Cup that they could possibly take a few scalps. They bet Wales in, in the last what year. Um, I'd say they're probably known as probably one of the better sides of the tier two kind of nations. Um, and they've just been a bit flat this this competition so far. Is that fair to say? So far, they've only played two as well. It's. The, the the week off thing is brilliant for teams and for the spectacle, but it does put us in a situation where we're talking about teams that are at different points in their World Cup, so it's hard to judge. They'll be disappointed that they didn't have a statement against Portugal, but them and Portugal have kind of been those two standouts in that second division of Eng- or uh, European rugby for the last couple of years. So Portugal are going from strength to strength, and Georgia have gone and improved and gotten results against the Tier 1 nations uh, and look to cause upsets and the big feeling from a Welsh point of view and an Australian point of view was that Georgia would have a say in this uh, table, not necessarily because they were ever going to get out of the group, but that they were going to maybe beat one of the three that are, were tipped for first, second, third, uh, and maybe kind of put a marker down and try and steal third off someone who has an under underperformance, which could still happen because Australia have played three games and are on six points and Georgia play two and are on two points, so you know a, a win for Georgia and another loss for. They play, yeah. Uh, they play Fiji next. They win that their second. So you're right, yeah. It's like, it's, it's it's not all doom and gloom. No, they do, just you would, you know, they have a say, and I think that you know World Rugby do do need to help and bring bring these teams through. Georgia have been knocking on the door for years and have been open in saying that in the last couple of months, which is great to see from them. Is to you know questioning World Rugby and how 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 come they're not getting opportunities to be brought through into you know six nations or even six nations qualifiers so a result would do them wonders a big result would would do them wonders and to really push and maybe you know slip into third anyway um with the automatic qualification or 
to push on and try and steal a second. That group is still as open as possible because it's, you know, there's two teams on three games and three te- teams on two games. And Portugal will will look at next week. Is it our, uh, Australia they're playing next week? They'll look at that as they'll look at a, a wounded animal and think if there was ever a time to really just whip it out and piss on someone, it might be Australia who are looking so dead and buried. Players look like they just wanted to get on a flight home. They, they have no intention, I don't think, of of going out the the only side of things that they have they don't look like they want to play for eddie jones at the moment uh, and that's a whole other story but portugal might eye that up as a potential upset and what a story would be if they happen so i think there's still a lot to play for in that group uh portugal i think would probably be disappointed at not stealing the win there but you know a draw in terms of from our westies point of view who loves both these teams equally and struggled to decide which jersey he wanted to wear on the day i think he'll uh He'll be happy with the draw, but the but fans of both will probably be disappointed because the opportunity was there. Yeah, that's if you, you've touched on it. We'll, we'll we'll skip ahead to the Wales Australia game before we get stuck into the Irish game. But Wales beating Australia forty points to six. Uh, it's hard to tell how good Wales are because of their performance. Because you said there's how bad Australia were in that performance. The first 10 minutes were actually quality. I, I was really enjoying the game, and Australia looked a better team in the first 10 minutes. But they just are at sixes and sevens, and it's even small things. And I actually, I rarely compliment commentary, especially on Irish TV. But Quinlan was making some good points of like they're just like half a second slow to everything. You know, even just reacting to the ball. Where Wales were, one thing I will compliment Wales in, and, and it's always the same with Gatland. They are extremely well drilled in everything they do. Like they will never. Wales will never beat themselves. Do you know what I mean? They, they, they might not be good enough to beat a certain teams, but they're not going to put a performance in like Australia did the other day. A team that's just all over the spot. And I agree with you, a, a team that doesn't look like they're playing for the coach, but obviously we saw uh, the big uh, lock Valenti- Valentini or Valentini or Valentino uh, in tears after the game. Uh, so it's not like they don't care. Of course they do. They're professional players. They have pride, but it doesn't look like a happy camp. It doesn't look like a camp that's singing up the same hymn sheet. Whether this is... You know, there's obviously talk of Eddie Jones, who's interviewed for the Japan job uh, a few days ago. I've seen Sonny Bill Williams absolutely slating him on TV for it, so fair play to Sonny Bill for that. Um, yeah, it's 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 just a shitty, shitty situation. It's not good for Australia. But look, we you know we we know Australia, rugby union Australia has has been on a an absolute kind of fall from grace for a long time now. I have a friend who's over there, and he was saying like, no one is talking about this World Cup at the moment. It's it's AFL, it's rugby league, it's cricket. Uh, like rugby union isn't even sniffing the conversation when it comes to, um, you know, watching in pubs and uh, and even watching on TV back there. So it's it's in a really bad spot, and although it obviously doesn't affect us personally, Sam, it's not nice to see Australia in in this situation. It's not good for rugby overall. It's better for rugby to have a, a competent and competitive Australia side, isn't it? Better for rugby to have more teams in general. Rugby is such a closed shop. There's eight real teams. You go into a World Cup and there's four that you even consider contenders and then the rest of the tournament is how they get there. Australia would traditionally be one of those teams. They they might not traditionally have always gone the four years in between being overly successful. You know, a rugby championship, they struggle because they have New Zealand and South Africa every year. But going into the World Cup, you always would think, oh, Australia are the type of team that could do it. And going into this World Cup with the Eddie Jones Thing. I'm going to say, like, I'm going to admit I was wrong. I thought I thought the David Rennie sacking with the Eddie Jones, I was like, look, Rennie had got them purring, but Eddie Jones knows how to win World Cups and he knows how to play tournament rugby. And I thought that it was almost a masterstroke and it's just turned out to not have gone down in any way well. The players don't seem to really have bought into it or they don't they don't look like they bought into it. 
he's doubling down on his Eddie Jones stick and it's not working. And when you're not winning, that stick is really hard to kind of buy and really hard to swallow. The whole rumor thing, timing probably quite calculated by some journalists to try and get a few clicks because timing of it was the day of the match or the day before the match from an Australian source. And that that's huge. It seems like they want to use controversy as a way of getting it back on the back pages of the newspaper because, like you said, AFL and NRL and cricket are just so much more popular. And that's been the case for well over 10 years now. We've we, This isn't a sudden downfall of Australian rugby. We've been hearing about it for so long. They struggle to get sponsorship. Their players want to leave to go to other countries to make money. They can't. They struggle to keep their, their top players in the unions. And now they don't have the South African teams in the... Super Rugby, and that might be affecting them. It might be affecting their ability to play to the highest standard. We don't know. It's hard to say because I think that the Irish teams benefited from the South African teams being in the URC and seemingly the Welsh have as well because they're getting battle-hardened playing these players you know, regularly enough. So it's a sad state of affairs for Australia. I think Eddie Jones probably walks or is moved on. It just looks like a bad experiment and it's gone wrong. Dave Rennie's probably sitting at home going, lads, like... That Australia team that played us in November last year were they were tough. They they put us to the wire and we were worried about them. And we said, they're growing. And then the Eddie Jones thing happened. Then you look at Gatland, which is the other side of it. He was brought in around the same time. And we all said, Gatland knows how to make a team very hard to play against. And he knows how to win Grand Slams. And he knows how to, how to make and win dirty Warren Ball players buy into it and then it didn't seem to be working for a while but it's really come to fruition in this world cup and he prides his teams on being faster and fitter than teams uh, and working harder and they they seem to be doing that so regardless of where they're actually are where what their standard actually is in comparison to ourselves france and south africa they're going about their business exactly as they need to they knew the draw they knew the pool they know that where they're in the world cup and gatland is seemingly playing it perfectly right now uh, we'll see where they get to in the knockout stages but I don't ever want to see Wales in a knockout game I, I fear Galland and what he can do and his, his tactical brilliance and I also would say the same about Eddie Jones but I look at this Australia team and I think Jesus, if you got Australia in a knockout game you'd be laughing right now but Gatland has rest John. He'd rest Johnny Sexton at the moment, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> you'd like for the semis. Gatland's gotten purring, and even in the game, like you said, the first 10, 15 minutes, Australia looked like they, they had something about them, but actually didn't ask any questions. They just had a lot more ball and a lot like Wales were just tackling more. They weren't really being asked any overly difficult questions. Then Dan Bigger went down. A fair play to Anscombe, he had a class game. But you know, when Bigger goes down, a ruthless team identify that as a massive loss and they they try and feck shit up and they try and stop Anscombe from being able to come in and impose his game onto the pitch. You you try and keep him cold and I don't think Australia did that at all. I think Anscombe was comfortably able to grow into the game and had a stellar performance because of how easy a ride it was in the end and it I, I just would be so disappointed if I was an Australian fan looking at this and it's no wonder at the moment the way it's going that the NRL has more viewers and the cricket and the AFL get more sponsorship because there's so so much wrong when a group of players as talented as they have and as talented as the ones that are left behind can't perform there's, so, there's something majorly majorly wrong yeah it's disappointing look and look at the Lions the Lions tour goes there in two years obviously two years is a long time but 
like the last thing you want is a shitty Australia team hosting the Lions, and there's no buzz about it. There's no you know build up, and that's that's not what you want. But the two years a long time. Wales, with some great performances. Jack Morgan, I think, has been uh, absolutely fantastic this World Cup so far. He's really imposed himself on the world stage. And look, they, they know who they are. They know what they're trying to do, and they all buy into it. And that that will win you a lot of games uh, when it comes to a rugby like that. So whether, whether they're good enough to you know go all the way, I don't think they are. But as you said, you wouldn't want to be playing them. But yeah, that that sums up that game. We'll get to the main event this weekend, which was South Africa, Ireland. You know, you mentioned there Australian fans with, with there's, there's no real hope or, or positivity. Actually, uh, for, for for once, Ireland are on the opposite side. Of that. On that, sorry, myself, Westy, uh, we stayed in Leon after the game in San Etienne, uh, and there was a huge number of Australian fans. Like, Leon was jammed full of Australian people. Uh, that game was in Leon the day after we left. Uh, but Leon was buzzing with Australian fans. There was a good number of them on our train going up to see the Argentina-Samoa game as well. So, you know, disappointed for them because they did seem to travel in good numbers. And the Australian fans are always quite good. You know, they're they're, they're fairly, uh, fairly nice set of fans. And, you know, Australian rugby players have always done well when they come to Connacht. And we, we have a lot of the soft spot for a good number of Australian players. So you'd feel sorry for them. But like, the fans are there and it must be so difficult to see, like, that's a big way to go. That's you know, that's a lot of savings gone into making a trip of a lifetime, and it's just been such a damn squib for them. Yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's you know, the money that we're spending on over to support Ireland is worth it when they're winning. But if it was the other way around, especially yourself and Westy, you'd be pretty annoyed. But uh, yeah, look, the Ireland South Africa game. Ireland come out on top, thirteen points to eight. By far the best game of the competition so far, uh, and only twenty one points scored in the entire game, which is not often you'd say that. Um, absolute battle and absolute war and Ireland came out on top which was the main thing but uh, I watched this game myself and Marty Rabbits the the atmosphere the the, the everyone was the pub, pub was packed it was it was absolutely uh, phenomenal I loved every second being in there although I spent too much money on pints but look at that's that's my fault more than else and I was very very uh, tired and hung over the next day but it was a great, it was a great win for so many different reasons, Sam. And look, we'll get into the kicking woes. We, there's, a, a, you know, you play this game ten times, Ireland could lose this game five of those those ten times. It was that tight. It was back and forth, and it was incredibly physical. And there was no teamo checks. There was no, there was no high tackles. There was no nothing. There was a stamp on a hand that was obviously has been played around the social medias, but. Look, for for a game of that physicality, it was nowhere near some of the games we've seen before. But there's so many different ways to look at this from an Ireland point of view. And I was on Quail on Rugby's podcast there chatting about the, the review of the game uh, yesterday as well. But I think that the main thing, and you can disagree or disagree with this, but it's the, psycholo- the psychology of this win for Ireland, I think, is is the big factor. Obviously, winning the game was, was it's great. You know, if they beat Scotland at the top of the group, you'll face New Zealand. There's all that sort of side of the thing. But look, if you lost the other day, if you lost against South Africa, you could still qualify. So it wasn't like that was, you know, the be all and end all. But it's it's beating South Africa in a World Cup like that when when they played they played pretty well. You know, they they're as physicality wise, they were at their best. And you went out and you you won an absolute bar brawl of a game. You only scored one try and you still bet the Springboks, um, which is not something I would have thought possible six months ago or even a year ago. I thought you'd have to score three or four tries. Um, they dealt with them physically uh, for, for for most of the game as well. Our line-out didn't function at all in that first half. We lost five lines in a row, I think, in the first half. Um, and we still come out on top. Uh, and to me, that is it's huge going forward. I, I think this Ireland team now... 
goes into a game and, and and instead of saying like oh what do we have to do to beat South Africa or, or New Zealand or France I think this Irish team now reaches a point where they're like what what you guys have to worry about us now we're, we're sort of you know we're coming in here where we're going to be favourites now for every game pretty much going out and I think other teams are worried they were always worried but now they're properly worried I think it was a statement when that um, the crowd was fantastic the zombie stuff of course people get pissed off at it because that's the modern social media world but the atmosphere looked unbelievable. A great, great call by the stadium announcers to play that song. Great call to silence it during the chorus. All that stuff was fantastic. It was, it was a fantastic night to be an Irish rugby supporter. Um, and yeah, sorry, I've rambled on a bit there, but what are your thoughts? Well, I'm surprised that you said that Murty's was full because everyone else in Ireland was in fucking Paris. It was uh, unbelievable, wasn't it? I said it like I, I'm always an optimist and I don't ever really think I go into a game thinking that either Connacht or Ireland will lose. And going to Paris and talking to people, I said I was like, I, I fancy Ireland by five or six. Like I really do. Uh, at one stage, I was fancying by eight or nine. But no, I, I think the realist in me, I, I did fancy us. Uh, and then when I got to Paris and you were going from place to place, pub to pub, on the tram, down past the Louvre, into the fan zone, on the subway up to the match. I was just there was so many Ireland fans. There was a lot of South Africans, but it was almost two, three to one Ireland fans. And there just there was something special and vibing about the whole thing. Everyone was on such good spirits. This Ireland team, I think, has built up a bank of experiences over the last two years, whereby I don't think we're as scarred by previous experiences and previous World Cups because we've beaten New Zealand away. We've beaten France. We've beaten South Africa recently. We've we've gone 15 games unbeaten. We've won Grand Slams. And this Ireland team has done that in the last two years and it's been building really nicely. And I got that sense off all of the fans that there, we were all confident. We were all going into the match thinking, like, this is a South Africa team, but the Irish players seem to take a little bit of maybe umbrage towards the the conversations around the World Cup and the favourites being South Africa and France and, you know, never never rule out New Zealand. So we've consistently won for two years and we're the t- top-ranked team in the world for a reason. The, the players don't seem to be affected by it. The story of the entire game, you know, you go in, you talk about those lineouts last, you talk about the first two scrums last, you talk about just consistent barrage of South African play and just such a physical contest for 30-odd for minutes. And then... Bundy makes that break and it's it's a big momentum shift. And there was a whole sense of relief from the stadium. And I'd say you probably felt it at home. I, I felt that that was a huge momentum because the moment, because after that, there's two, three phases. We get an advantage. Sexton takes it so close to the line. Then it goes wide and we get a try a couple of minutes later. And all of that all added up to just just brilliant experience. And if you had an alien here from outer space and you were trying to explain rugby to them and you said like you you gave them this scoreline and this set of maybe statistics they'd probably go geez that was the most boring rugby game of all time Chile and England was probably the most exciting because of the scoreline but no it was it was an unbelievable spectacle it was it was so physical the tension was just on a knife edge the entire time in the stadium and then that zombie was actually like this explosion of relief out of everyone we were all you know I was in a rush but I couldn't leave. I was there for 40 minutes to an hour after because I just, I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to be there and watch the players going around and singing the songs and stuff. And it wasn't perfect by any means from Ireland. And it definitely wasn't perfect by any means from South Africa, but it's another experience that these players can just bring to the forefront of their minds whenever they have another game. It's just another, you know, tick on the checklist of what we have to do to win a world cup. So it was a fantastic result. It was amazing to hold out the resilience they had to do it 
the management, the game management, the input from all the players, even off the bench. It was just everything, even though it wasn't perfect. And you can look at all the way, places that you can improve and the places that South Africa will improve if you meet them again. I feel like that the overall story of the game will give Ireland so much confidence and belief in themselves that they go just whatever's happening, we can dig deep. Yeah, I think that's it's a great point as well. Of like, Ireland obviously have won 15 games in a row now, but they haven't all been easy wins. Like, this team has proven that they can win tough games. They won down in New Zealand, those were never easy wins. You've beaten, uh, so that, like that game was won by five points. And you know, I, I, when Crowley kicked that point, that penalty, I was like, okay, we've won the game. And then, for in, in like a minute, they're camped on our five meter line and trying them all over. You're like, how the hell has this happened? But I, I like you know, Ty Byrne, he does it week in, week out for Munster. He does it for Ireland all the time. He gets in and he he's an, a mall master, a maestro, and that's just, you have you have talent like that over the pitch, and that and and unlike other Irish teams maybe in the past, the players coming off the bench are equally as talented as the players starting, and it's just it's an incredible batch of players. It's an incredible culture that they've be, they've built around this team, and. We know we've been guilty in this podcast, and look, there may be still some long-term problems with the lack, maybe, of new faces coming in and out of that Ireland team in the last couple of years. But we're the pros and the 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 benefits of that is this team are so the, the continuity in this team is and the cohesion is incredible. They know each other inside and out. They fully trust in each other. They fully trust in the coaching staff, and there's a real belief among the team that they can win this. And we like we're seeing the fruits of that now. Look, someone might clip this in a couple of weeks and we're going to look pretty stupid, but I, I agree with you. I, I said, Anyone who asked me during the week, I said I think we'll win. And I don't know if I would have said that at any other World Cup or any other kind of year or the last couple of years with, with going into South Africa. I'm always like, yeah, I think as an Irish fan, you're always like, oh, but you never know, South Africa really good. And South Africa petrify me. They still do. I don't want to face them again. I'm praying someone knocks them out before they get to, if they see us again. Because they're, they're going to learn from that as well, as you said. And We'll talk about South Africa for a little bit because obviously both teams can improve. South Africa, first of all, I don't like this narrative going around that you know they left eleven points on on the on the table because first of all, from Faf's missed kick, they scored a try. So you can't quite say eleven points were left on the table when uh, they scored uh, five off one of the missed kicks. But the question I have, Sam, and this is the one that I, I was asking at the time: Why were they selecting to kick these kicks? Because first of all, Libok. We know that the kicking woes are not there. I mean, when he misses the first one, the confidence has to be struck straight away. They, they back him again straight away and he misses another one. And then they go to Faf from 50 metres out, who doesn't kick regularly for club or, or country. Um, you also have one of the best packs, if not the best pack in the world. Were you surprised by the, the selection of penalties to go for the, the post instead of the corner? I was. I think that Leibach... Like we actually have experience with this being Connick fans. I think the Leibach, you know, when he misses that first one, the head's gone. Uh, and it's just, it's further fueling a narrative that surrounds him that he's not great off the tee. He seems to strike the ball beautifully. Like he seems to actually be able to kick a ball. It just seems to not go the right direction. So that's that's one area that maybe they need to address. Uh, I've seen a couple of South African fans shouting for Pollard to come in. And then I've seen other South African fans quoting his kicking stats that aren't perfect either. And kickers will miss kicks. Like you said, they, the the story might change if one of those kicks goes over. They might start kicking them all or something. So you don't know in hindsight, but you do have to be aware that th- those kicks, like Manny, could just catch fire on the next time we play them if we do play them and kick five from six instead of none. You know, it's it's a really hard thing to put your finger on. 
his confidence was shot from that, but I don't think that got in the way of his ability to play. I still think that he is a brilliant out half, that he does so much good for the team, that the kicks are just something that they need to address. It was weird. I don't know why they asked the Faf to kick those ones into, uh, from 50 metres out. It looked like all it did was just cause some sort of you know mindfuck for him. It was just an added pressure that he probably didn't need. And like you said, Manny Libak can kick to the corner. He's a good kicker out of hand. We've seen that. And their mall and their line out are scary. And it's one of the things, you know, the seven one split was there for a reason because they pride themselves in the power of their forwards. So like, why didn't, why didn't they go use them? Alternatively, I think that Sexton continuously going for the corner when uh, there was our line out mishaps and Kelleher, maybe he's not at fault for them, but two of them just look like overthrows. I think that that was Sexton playing Kelleher into a bit of form and, you know, instead of doing something stupid, like taking a, a kick that was a bit out of range or a bit harder to kick and making Kelleher feel like they had no trust in him, I think that they just went, nope, next man up, next next time you'll get it. And they they got that and they got a better player for it after those first four lineouts. So the Razzie traffic light, if he's kicking it, if he's not, all of that just mixes into, you know, putting an undue pressure on the players. I think the players should be probably relieved of that and be allowed to make the decision on the pitch on what they want to do. And if Faf thinks he can kick it from 50 yards, great. But if he's told to kick it from 50 yards, that adds a pressure to him that I don't think he needed. And I think that was telling in the way that they played and the, the taking the kicks that looks like speculative efforts. Yeah, but it's just, yeah, it's, it was weird. Like if, if those four penalties, well, three of them penalties, they go to the corner there. I think they're scoring at least one try. Just by you know, chances are, um, and then you know the, the knock-on effects from that is huge. Um, I thought one thing really stood out to me when I was watching it in Murtis as well was I can't remember. I think it was uh, uh, the fullback uh, Willemsa. I think uh, there was one one pass that was it was a poor pass or knock-on. It was in second half, and uh, it was sloppy play by South Africa, and he 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 got very upset and very angry and lost ahead. And it was a real sign. I was like, okay, South Africa are rattled here a little bit. You don't normally see that from South Africa. They're normally quite cool, calm, and collected. Um, but you could tell that they, they knew they were in an absolute uh, a battle here. Um, and it, it was it was one thing that really stood out to me. I, I, when I saw that, I was like, okay, like they, they are they're stressing here a little bit. But we saw some again some uh, immense performances. Uh, Andrew Porter was absolutely incredible. Played seventy five minutes. Um, who you know, just insane sort of stuff. Ty Byrne is always incredible. Uh, I still think he's our he's our most talented player by a mile. Sexton again does what you need him to do. He's he's the leader. He's sets the bar, and of course Bundy. Bundy's in the form of his life uh, somehow uh, at this stage of his career, and he's just been like there was obviously the speculation the first two games he played well against lesser competition. Uh, opposition should I say sorry and he was immense again and him and David Dialenda had a great battle the 212s you don't really normally see 212s you know tearing it up like that in one game and they were both absolutely fantastic uh, going into it we have to obviously mention Mac as well from the corner point of view he was scored the only try he fucking cut it close though I was again watching the pub didn't really grasp until I watched it afterwards how close he was to uh, putting that eye over the touchline which would have been disappointing but Mac does that sort of things like regularly in the sports ground we're like just put it down and he decides he wants to step four people and go inside i i think he just gets bored and wants to just keep himself amused like i think that that's what in his mind he's like that's boring i don't want to put it down here i want to really do something so I, his momentum nearly took him over but yeah it was he scored the try it was brilliant uh i thought like i you know there's no denying we all know how good johnny sexton is and i've been a bit critical of his selection in the, the past couple of years but i that game, I 
rewatched it there this afternoon and he was immense. He was so physical. I think he has many tackles as most of the forwards. He was putting his body on the line. He ran so hard, but he also managed the game brilliantly. I think like even that that Kelleher thing, I I genuinely believe that that was an active decision in his mind. The way he spoke to the ref, he made Ben O'Keefe aware of them. He was like, you, you shouldn't be coaching them on the ground. You know, you should be, they they should be penalized if they're doing something wrong. And Ben O'Keefe went, okay, fair point, and penalized them straight away to twice. You know, I, I think it was a perfect game for him. Bundy's growing into this, this World Cup. He, he's, he spent that good eight weeks he had off last year for the the hit and the kind of the controversy and the, the maybe being dropped out of the Connacht squad. He spent that getting himself into peak condition. If that's the Irish conditioning coaches, the Connacht ones himself, whatever it is, he's not covered in medical tape. He looks trimmer. He looks fitter. He looks faster than he has done in a number of years. And this is the best I've seen him since like 2017, 2018. And he's, you know, he's played at a, such a high standard all that time. But this is just, I think he's, he's, identified this World Cup as a big, big moment for him. And it was really kind of a game of moments. There was momentum killers and momentum swings. There was the the low tackle on Etzebet, the Bundy break, you know, Sexton nearly making it over, winning scrum penalties, uh, Peter O'Mahony getting that that line out turnover. They were all huge moments that just kept us in it because I think South Africa kept kind of growing into it and we kept just finding a way to just whoop the fire to to put out the fire, whatever the English term for that is. Yeah, the was on Bundy. The speed has has been the big thing that strikes me because like he's never he's never been slow, but now he's leaving lads for dead, well, and it's absolutely incredible. In his first year or two for Connacht, and he played a lot of thirteen outside Craig Ronaldson, and he was very pacey. He made a, a lot of good breaks, and if you watch his Chiefs highlights, he was the same. He's an open runner with the you know with the one hand on the ball looking for an offload. That's not something we've seen from him really since he qualified for Ireland, and he became a, a he was always a twelve, but when he became an out and out twelve, he really jacked up and got bigger and bigger continuously he became a bit of a battering ram especially in the schmidt system henshaw probably did the same you know he was 13 quite often or 15 and then he became a fairly out and out 12 as well but he does look faster than he has done in four or five years for sure uh, and it's it's a wonder to see and i kind of gives me hope i know we all figured that next year would probably be his last year for our Ireland Connacht, we'd, we'd heard that his injuries were catching up with him and that it was just, it was going to be one or two steps too far. But seeing as fit as he is there, like, give me hope for another two, three, four years from Bundy for Connacht anyway. And then probably, you know, in that, in that uh, Ireland squad as well. On Dialende, he's lucky to be on the pitch, actually. I was on the rewatch of a big clear out that was questionable after about a minute. But outside of that, the two of them were brilliant and they were just knocking shit out of each other at all times. Yeah, it was. Uh, I do also, last performance will highlight because, again, I've been critical of him. We've been critical of him on this podcast. I thought Conor Murray came on and was absolutely outstanding. And I, I, when I saw him coming on, I didn't love it because I was like, you know, we kind of need to, to to up the tempo here. But the way South Africa kind of neutralised Gibson Park, um, again, it just, just wasn't kind of his kind of game. But Murray came on, you know, you forget as well how big and physical he is when it comes to tackling and turnover potential as well. Uh, I thought it was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. So, uh, again, credit with credit to you. We're, we're opinionated on players, but when they show us up or, or prove us wrong, I'm also very happy to admit uh, admit that as well. I thought it was absolutely outstanding when he came on and was one of the reasons that they held on to, to win as he, well. He had the perfect performance for his role, though. He was the experienced head coming on after 65 minutes and his size as well. So I, I thought the same. I thought he was brilliant. And I thought that that is 
the role that is there for him because I do believe that Gibson Park is your starter for Ireland in the long term in 99% of your games and if he's not available in case he's the more like for like not personally the hugest fan of Casey I like I like Helen Blade but I think that uh, Connor Murray that was the perfect performance for his role as the the 100 plus cap Ireland player the the former British and Irish Lions he was named captain of British and Irish Lions it was brilliant and it was like you said a lot of the reason we were able to see at home when we were yeah no 100% agreed yeah I think Gibson, Gibson Park is our best nine but it's when you, when you have someone like Murray coming on there I can I can totally see the, the, the comfort that that brings and I'm sure for the rest of the players it does too but uh, also shout out to Ian Henderson I thought he, he was one of the reasons to line out Turner look we could name all the players they were all brilliant <laughs> uh, so there's no point going through the whole squad but uh, we'll wrap up there uh, Sam obviously as I said apologies we didn't get to see all the games so there's no point we're not going to lie to you and pretend we watched them but um, Ireland's off this weekend as we said they have a week off before they play Scotland but still plenty of games on and we'll be back next week to cover it all with Westy back in tow as well Sam appreciate it as always and we will catch you next week Bon week <laughs>